Well, I'm officially a Virginian. I'm a Virginian. Yep. It's not because, it's not because I eat at Chick's Oyster Bar down the street. It's not because I say y'all. Uh, it's not because uh, I, I don't take cover anymore when an F-18 flies overhead <laughs> in fear for my life. I've gotten used to that, actually. I'm a Virginian because I spent three hours at the DMV. That's right. Yep. Yep, no longer North Carolina first and fly. I am Virginia is for lovers, and I am a lover of Virginia. I'm a lover of this place. Uh, but yeah, a few days ago, um, hung out at the DMV. Um, it was uh, in- interesting. I'll just use that term. It was an interesting experience. Walked in, had my phone fully charged, because you never know how long you'll be there. And so I'm waiting in the first initial line there. I get to the counter, and the lady kind of talks me through some things and uh, hands me a couple things. And I'm just thankful to be able to have a seat and just relax. There's some music in the background. I'm thinking, oh, this isn't too bad. Uh, scroll through my phone, check some email, respond to some text messages, catch up on the news. Uh, and the next thing I know, they're calling my number. And I go up to the counter. Uh, and there's a nice lady there. She smiles at me and asks me how I'm doing. I'm like, oh, I'm great. And she asks me for three or four important forms. And she said, wait, you haven't filled out those forms yet? And I thought, oh, my goodness. I was just so caught up in responding to emails and responding to text messages and checking the latest news. I totally forgot to fill out these forms while I was sitting there. So she had me go back to my seat and to the back of the line. So I'm pretty sure it doubled the amount of time that I was at the DMV that day. And finally, they call my number, get up to the counter again, fill out the forms. And after a few minutes of exchanging information, got my plates. And the lady said these three words to me, or four words. She said, you're free to go. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Freedom. Freedom. You're free to go. You're free to go. You're free to go. The truth is, in this place this morning, the number of people in this room, we need to hear those words. We need to hear, you're free to go. You ask, Heath, what do you mean? Well, I think we bring all kinds of things to the doors this morning. You may not uh, spend three hours in the DMV, hope you don't, uh, but we all need to be set free from something. If we were to look intently in the mirror and be honest with ourselves, We all need to be set free from something. Maybe something happened in the past and uh, it's filled you with resentment, maybe bitterness, maybe anger towards a situation, an event, or even a person. Maybe something happened and you have this deep sorrow in your heart, this sadness that you just carry around wherever you go. Maybe somebody did something to you and you had this grudge And if you're not careful, you could carry that grudge all the way to the grave. But we have these these internal battles, these heavy weights inside of us that hold us back from being all that God created us to be. And I think if you're being honest with yourself, me included, we would be able to recognize those things that are holding us back, that we need to be set free from. Mine is pride. Just that, that sense of, man, I, I'm, I'm pretty self-sufficient. I've got it all together. But God, in his own way, reminds me every day, Heath, 
you don't have it all together. In fact, this past week, I turned <coughs> 40. Excuse me, I got something in my, in my throat. Um, I got this card from my mother-in-law. It says in the front, once upon a time, a very special person was born. Oh, cool. Who was destined to change the world. Oh, that, that's pretty cool. Calm down, it's not you, it's Jesus. <laughs> that's what it says inside. It says, we think he'd want you to have a happy birthday, though. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny, but we think too highly of ourselves sometimes, don't we? We need to be set free from something, whether it's anger or pride or resentment or fear or bitterness or sorrow, whatever that is, we need to bring it to the table today. And the question is, where are you searching for freedom? Where are you searching for freedom? We're all searching for freedom. Maybe it's through a relationship. Maybe you're expecting somebody else to somehow, some way, set you free from something deep inside of your heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're trying to find it in your career or your job or your reputation, what people think of you, how highly you're esteemed, what you do for a living. Maybe it's how much money you make, how high that wall of security and safety you can build in your life, that number that you're trying to reach that does not exist, by the way. Maybe it's an addiction, alcohol, or drugs. Maybe it's some kind of form of pleasure or entertainment, some kind of vice. But we find ourselves every day on this road called life looking and searching and trying to find something that will set us free from whatever is, 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 is going on inside of our hearts. We're all searching for freedom. I want to tell you today that that search can end. That search can end today. What if I told you that there was a God who is, who is crying out to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, cast your anxieties upon me because I care for you. What if I told you there was a perfect God, a, a, a perfect lamb of God who is willing to be with you, who is willing to help you and set you free and rescue you and help you be the child of God, the man, the woman that God created you to be? What if I told you that? And what if you leaned in today just a little bit and took a step, just took one step to surrender your life, everything, and be all in with God, the one who can truly set you free? You know, 3,400-some years ago, there was a group of people, the Israelites, God's people, and they found themselves in sort of a DMV-type experience. For 400 years, it makes three hours feel like nothing. 400 years, they were enslaved. They were in bondage in Egypt. And the heavy hand of Pharaoh came down upon them every day. They were whipped. They were beaten. They were mocked. They were disenfranchised. They were viewed as just these pieces of meat, these objects. There's this means to an end. And at some point, they got so infuriated, so fed up, they hit rock bottom and they got on their knees and they cried out to God for help. Now, just real quick, why is it that it takes rock bottom for us to finally cry out to God, right? Why is it that it takes that long? God's there every day and he's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. Don't wait until you're in a foxhole. Don't wait until it's an emergency. I'm here for you every day. But God's people finally get on their knees and they cry out to God, God, help us. We're in slavery. We're in bondage. Help us. We need you to rescue us 
from the Egyptians. We need to rescue us from the slavery that we're in. And God, who is faithful and compassionate, heard their cries. And he said, okay, okay, all right. I've got a plan, guys. I've got a plan. His plan was this. He said to his people, take one year old lamb, one male year old lamb on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, find a lamb, one one year old, a male without blemish, without defect, without deformity, find that lamb and then four days later, take that lamb and slaughter it, kill it, Eat it, take the blood, and smear it above your doorpost, the outside of your house, which is kind of a crazy plan, right? And this this was towards the end of all those plagues. Remember those plagues that God brought upon Egypt, the the gnats and the turn of the Nile to, to, to blood? This was at the very end of all that. So it came to this point, this dramatic climax And this is what happened next, Exodus 12, 12 through 13. On that same night, God says, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. So that fourth night, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so God, being true to his word, carried through with his promise. Sure enough, four days later, after all of God's people selected their perfect lamb, sure enough, they were spared. Their lives were spared. And that was the last straw for Pharaoh. Pharaoh was like, I'm done with this. I'm done. You guys go. You're free to go. You're free to go. And all of God's people were set free from Egypt and slavery. They navigated their way through the Red Sea and into the, into the wilderness and on their way to the land of flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, because God was faithful and God rescued his people. He passed over them because the angel in the night saw that blood over the doorpost and God's people were free to go. Now this is all going to tie together, okay? Stick with me. 1,400 years later, after the Passover in Egypt, by the way, every week, a certain week, every year following the, the, the Passover in Egypt, God said to his people, remember, remember, remember. So every year across those 1,400 years, every year on a certain week, this week, every Every year, the first day of the week, a certain week of the year, God's people were to take a lamb, a one-year-old male lamb without defect, because the entire Old Testament, if you were to summarize it in one word, the word is remember. God didn't want his people to forget what he had done. And so once a year, a certain day, beginning of the week, a certain week, God wanted his people to not forget what he had done. So every year for 1,400 years, God's people celebrated the Passover by selecting a lamb on the first day of the week, four days later, killing that lamb and remembering the sacrifice that God had made for them in Egypt and presenting a sacrifice for their sins. 
Okay, you guys still with me? 1,400 years later, we arrive in Matthew 21, verse 1 through 3. Jesus and his disciples are entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus and his disciples are entering Jerusalem on the day that all of God's people were scrambling about. Thousands of people converged on Jerusalem to do what? To find the lamb, to find the lamb that they were going to sacrifice four days later. Are you seeing the connection here? God sends his son Jesus into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. It was like God was saying, hey, here's my lamb. Here's my lamb. Select him. Here's my lamb. Choose him. I just got shivers. Isn't that amazing? God is so precise. He's a God of detail. He's a God of perfect timing. He wanted it to be so clear to us that his son Jesus was the lamb that we were to choose. Once and for all, God sent his son to be the perfect lamb. And here's Jesus and his disciples coming into Jerusalem, Matthew 21, 1 through 3. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, prophet Zechariah. So thousands of years before, uh, I'm sorry, a few hundred years before this happened, Zechariah, one of the prophets, predicted this would happen. Did you know there are over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? He fulfilled every single prophecy from the Old Testament. Those prophecies were made hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. He crossed every T, dotted every I. How could you not believe that Jesus was fulfillment of the prophecy? He was the Lamb of God. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt. Watch this scene from Son of God. Hosanna, 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 we read in the Gospel of Matthew. Hosanna, which means save us. It means save us. But you know what the people were asking Jesus to save them from? They weren't asking him to save them from their sins. They wanted to be set free from the Romans, just like they wanted to be set free from the Egyptians. They wanted this external freedom. They didn't get it. That's why you read further that Jesus wept. He cried because he thought, these people don't get it. They don't get it. They're crying out for a political freedom. But what they need is spiritual freedom. Hosanna, 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 save us, save us, rescue us from the Romans. But Jesus, Jesus knew that he could save them from their sins and rescue them from the bondage of slavery that they had in their heart, their sinful hearts. Are you crying out to God for help? When we say the word 
Hosanna. May we say it and cry out to God in a way that we're pleading with God to save us from our sins. God, save us. Not from something externally, but save us from something deep, deep inside of our hearts called sin. Jesus came into Jerusalem. If you haven't gotten it yet, he came into Jerusalem as the lamb, the perfect lamb. It's no coincidence, it's no accident that on lamb selection day, the first day of the week, when all of God's people were supposed to select a perfect lamb, that God sent his son Jesus on a donkey's colt, and God said to each and every one of us, choose him. He is the perfect lamb. Once and for all, your sins will be forgiven because of my son Jesus. Jesus is the simple lamb. The first characteristic of of the perfect lamb, Jesus, is that he is the simple lamb. He's a simple lamb. Isaiah 53, 2, another prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus came, says that there was nothing in his appearance to attract us to him. There was nothing in his outward appearance that we would desire him. There was Jesus not as a warring king on a chariot with this entourage. There were no frills. There was no pomp and circumstance. It was just Jesus, simple, humble, riding on a donkey's colt. There wasn't just this red carpet out before him on the road. It was just this simple, humble king, this king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the son of God. And the word humble here is the Greek word tepeno, tepeno. To pay no attention to yourself, right? That's what humility is. I thought about that this morning. To pay no. Oh, okay. To pay no attention to yourself. To pay no. But being humble means that you empty yourself of your ego. You set aside your ego. No selfish agenda. No ulterior motives. And you just have this simple dependence on God. You're so caught up in how high and awesome and holy God is that you make yourself low. Being humble means making yourself low. Even when you can defend yourself, even even when you can fight back, you choose humility. And you choose a posture of a servant, looking to not be served, but to serve. That's what Jesus came. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give away his life for many. Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who in being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But what did he do? He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of leader I want to follow. The kind of leader that gets into our trenches, gets into our mess. The best shepherds are the ones who smell like they're sheep. Jesus smells like us. Because he's with us. He's not high up on this pedestal, this distant guy in the sky. He's with us every day in the trenches. He's with us in the details. And Jesus, even Jesus, had a simple dependence on God, his Father. He had this childlike faith. Even as the Son of God, he had this faith in his Father. John 5, 19 says this, The Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father do. Insert your name there. Kelly can do nothing of herself. Joe can do nothing of himself, but only what they see the Father do. When people look at your life, 
do they see God the Father because of the way that you live? When people saw the life of Jesus, the more they watched him, the more they heard what he said, his words and his actions, they said, you know what? That lines up with Yahweh. That lines up with God. My kids demonstrate this simple dependence on God. My daughter, Lila, she's so sweet. You gotta watch out for the sweet ones, especially the ones with dimples. Careful. They'll have you wrapped around your finger and then drama, right? At bedtime, there's a lot of drama, but it's the best time too because we cuddle up a little bit and we have this thing called thank you for. It's like, it's like one word for Lila. Thank you for? Thank you for? Daddy, let's do thank you for. And so we'll be laying there in bed and, and she'll do thank you for. She'll say, God, thank you for my chocolate milk. Thank you for my pillow. Thank you for sun today. Thank you for soccer. Thank you for my quesadilla. <laughs> but then she'll always end the prayer with thank you for dying on the cross. Amen. And it's a super sweet, precious prayer, but it's this childlike faith. It's just pure, unadulterated, just this pure, childlike sense of wonder and awe in God, her Father. Have we lost that? Have you lost that? If you've been a follower of Jesus all your life, Man, don't, don't forget to read the Bible like a child. Walk through life like a child. See his creation like a child. Set aside your critical spirit and just see relationships and see his creation and see his word like a child. A simple, just raw, real, humble dependence upon God. Jesus had that. He had faith like a child. Had a conversation uh, with my friend Steve this past week. Steve's one of our Rock City team members, and he's in the military, and, but he's got this heart of gold. He's like a big teddy bear, and he was telling me, Heath, lately, you know what I've been doing on the way to the military base? I've been imagining that Jesus was sitting next to me. And so he has this ongoing conversation with Jesus on his way to, to meetings, on his way to the military each day, on his way to the base, and he has this connection, this intimate personal connection with Jesus. I love that. And he's, he's, seeing, he's seeing the Holy Spirit work on his team and other teams, and he's seen other guys uh, come together in prayer and in unity. It's been really, really cool to hear his story. But he has this simple, childlike faith in God. Jesus was the simple lamb. He was the simple lamb. Jesus was also the spotless lamb. He was the spotless Lamb. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he never sinned. He was fully God, yet fully human. And by the way, he's called the wonderful counselor. The best counselors that I've been to have been there because they can empathize. They can put themselves in your shoes. Jesus has been there. Everything you're experiencing, all your hurts, all your struggles, everything that's holding you back in your heart, Jesus has experienced, though he never sinned. So Jesus can relate to you. He's with you in your struggle. Jesus knew no sin. His heart was completely pure. No ulterior motives. And by the way, if I had mentioned earlier, there were four days between Sunday and when God's people had to, to, to finalize their decision on which lamb they were going to use for the sacrifice. Do you remember the Passover? There were four days. 
Jesus came on a Sunday, and there were four days that went by. What happened during those days? Jesus, the lamb, was poked. He was prodded. He was interrogated. He was the lamb. And there was this vetting process where the, the, the powers that be, the authorities, were trying to figure out, okay, is there anything about this guy that's alarming? That, is there any guilt in him? And then in John 18, 38, I love this moment. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, after four days, says this about Jesus the Lamb. He says, I find no guilt in this man. Wow. After all the poking and prodding and interviewing and interrogating, Jesus the Lamb was found to be spotless. No guilt in his heart. He was found to be without blemish. He was found to be sinless. He was found to be perfect. He was found to be blameless. Jesus is not only the simple lamb, but he is the spotless lamb. We've got spots, don't we? We've got spot, spotfulness in our hearts. But aren't you glad that we serve a God who is spotless? His blood is precious. Why is it so precious? How precious is the flow of Jesus' blood? Why? It's because he was sinless, he was pure, he was perfect. Why was it such a big deal uh, for, for God's people to select a lamb without blemish or deformity? Why was it such a big deal? Because our sin is a big deal. Our sin is serious, and our sin has a high price. For the wages of sin is death. For all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. For the wage of sin is death. There's a high price for our sins. And so when we choose something of sacrifice that is beautiful and rare and special and perfect, it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? When you give something up to God, when, when you go without food on a Friday, when you go without something, because you want to show God where your, your true heart's devotion is. That's why the, the demand for a, a blame without blemish or without defect was so high because our, the price for our sin is so high. That's why God sent his only son, Jesus, his only begotten son. He was precious. He was special. He was rare. He was, the only, he was his only begotten son. He was perfect and blameless. That was the only way for our sins to be forgiven once and for all. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, spotless and simple. This is what he does. He takes the spots out of our hearts and he nails them to the cross. He takes all the lust, all the envy, he takes our spots and he puts them on himself. Like a lamb led to the slaughter before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. He voluntarily took all of our spots and put them on himself. He got what we deserved, death, because of our sins. He got what we deserved in order to give us what he deserved. He lived a sinless, perfect, blameless life. He put himself on the hook to take us off the hook. We've been made pure. We've been redeemed. We are washed as white as snow because he took all of our spots, all the rotten places in our hearts, 
all that anger, all that fear, all those doubts, all that lust, all those insecurities, all those grudges, whenever we judge somebody else, he took it all upon himself, all of our past, present, and future sins, he took all of our spots and willingly put them on himself on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. We are up on the cross with Christ. Why? Because our sins are on his shoulders. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He gave himself up for me and for you. He is the substitute lamb. He was the simple lamb, the spotless lamb. The final characteristic, maybe the most important one, is that he's the permanent and perfect substitute lamb. He took our place. You were dragged into the courtroom because you committed a crime. There's no way that you could pay the debt. There's no way you could resolve that. You deserve to die just like me. We were dragged into the court before the judge and the jury and the evidence was stacked against us. We had the death penalty. But the last second, the superhero God had a great rescue plan and he sent his only son Jesus at the last second. And he stood in our place. He said, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take their spots. I'll take their spot. I'll take it. I'll take the heat. I'll take it. I'll take it for them. And you know what he said to us? He said, you're free to go. You're free to go. That's what he says to us every day. When we receive him as our Lord and Savior, and every day when we choose to follow him and trust him as our lamb, he says, you're free to go. You're free to go. You're set free, Spring Branch, to live free. When we choose Jesus as our lamb, we choose forgiveness and freedom forever, forever, once and for all. The perfect lamb comes into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, and he says, choose me, the simple, spotless, substitute lamb. Stop trying to find freedom in all these other places. First Peter 1, 18-20 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. Stop pursuing gold and silver. Stop pursuing earthly, temporary things to try to set you free only with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, only through him can you find freedom because he was chosen before the creation of the world for you. He chose you. May you choose him. Draw a line in the sand, put a stake in the ground today. Stop exhausting yourself, pursuing freedom and life and satisfaction and all these other things. May you rest in the presence of the perfect Lamb of God. And may you know that you are forgiven and may you know that you're a child and that you are, you are registered. You are a citizen, maybe of Virginia, yes, but you are a citizen of heaven. You are a child of God because you have received him as your Lord and Savior. You are a child of God and you've been set free to live free and you are a citizen of heaven. There's a seal that, that 
guarantees your inheritance in heaven if you are a child of God, which you are. And we're going to sing about that in a second. Let's pray together. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. When we deserved death, God, you stepped in at the last second as the simple, spotless, substitute lamb. You took our place. You laid down your life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. May we remember how you passed over our sins. Through your blood, you passed over our sins to give us freedom, freedom from slavery, freedom from our sins. So God set us free today. May we die to ourselves, God, because you died for us. God, I pray right here, right now, there's some people I know in this room that have, that have heard about you. They've been coming to church. And, but God, maybe they've never made a decision to select and choose you as their lamb, as their sacrifice, as their savior. So God, right now in this moment, give my friends in these seats the courage to take a step and to choose you as their savior. So if you're in this room right now, just say this prayer along with me. If you've never prayed the prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your perfect lamb and sacrifice, don't wait another day. Don't put this off another day. Eternity is at stake. Every day is at stake. Make this decision today because you're on a road and Jesus is coming towards you and he's saying, choose me. Select me as your lamb. Pray this prayer with me. God, I admit that I've been trying to find freedom in other things. God, I'm sorry. I've sinned. But God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you forgive me, that you wash me through your blood. I'm white as snow. Thank you. And God, I commit my life to you. I admit that I've sinned. I believe you as my Savior, and I commit my life to you. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you have made that decision today, we're going to do something a little different. If you've made that decision today, right there in your seat, just, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Eyes closed, head bowed. Raise your hand just to, to let God know and to just create a visible commitment and just to celebrate what God is doing in your heart this morning. I see a couple of hands out there. The Bible says, yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of God and you have a citizenship in heaven. Make sure you let somebody know you made that decision this morning. Come up front, let somebody know. God, thank you for who you are. May you remind us this morning that we are your children, set free.